When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something that I was really excited by was this sort of sense of, of disguise. It's not just your average costuming job. When, when these characters are trying to reveal their true identity because they live in a world where it's dangerous to reveal themselves, this idea of cloaking and disguising and covering up who you really are, that was really fascinating for me. Earthlings, and welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch. You have been engaged by our tractor beam. Please power down your thrusters and prepare to be boarded. We had not one, but two absolutely bitchin' scenes with Luthen this week on Andor, and we're going to chat about them both on this week's show. Plus, we have two very special guests as Andor production designer Luke Hull and costume designer Michael Wilkinson will be with us as well to talk about creating the unique look of this show. So we're very much looking forward to them dropping some insight and intel on us a little bit later. I'm Dalton Ross, as always, hoping nobody turns me into a brick and puts me in a wall. And I am joined by fellow rebel scum, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. Uh, Devin, do you want to be turned into a brick when you die? I mean, not, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm kind of like, don't, uh... I don't know. I always don't thought knock until you try it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always thought they'd throw me in the ocean. But this—it's funny that made me think a lot of. There's a great episode of Adventure Time where oh, Jake yeah. the dog, who's who's stretchy, basically decides that he just wants to live out the rest of his life as a brick and just be like in a wall until like the wall crumbles and like that's and and everybody's like, why do you want to do this? And he's like, I don't know. I just kind of want to do it. And so that's kind of what it, what this episode made me think of, which is a weird, bizarre reference. But I love Adventure Time very much, so. I have not one but two Adventure Time Halloween costumes that my wife keeps asking me every year to throw away that I won't let her. Just oh, no, you, you can't. That? I also have several. I The one and only time I cosplayed was as, you know, when I went to C2E2 in, in Chicago and and dressed up as as Fiona, the gender-swapped version of Finn, mm, and, and so ran around with, with, you know, the big white ears on my head. It was very fun. So anyway, this is not an Adventure Time podcast, but that's what it made me, made me think. Uh, it could be. You never know. Uh, Lauren, uh, what about you? You want to be turned into a brick when you die? Um, I have thought about various things. I, I thought about like, you know, one of those like Viking funerals or something of mm-hmm. that sort. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, sure. I, I have thought about all sorts of de- various things. I don't want to be buried. I know that. But I also don't want to be cremated. So I have not figured yet wow. what I want. Maybe the brick route is the way to go then. Maybe this is something you should consider, right? The house that Morgan built, literally. <laughs> yeah. I like those those ideas of like being, you know, like a pod that a tree grows out of or something like that. Yeah. Like those, but, you know, I'm sure those are extremely expensive, but, you know, something of that sort. Right. But. Well, uh, Lauren's mm-hmm. toughing it out through a little cold here, and we appreciate her doing that. Um, we are going to talk all about episode 11 of Andor, and Lauren talked to the production designer and costume designer as well. We've been talking a lot about that stuff all season, how much we love it. So excited to see what they have to say. Uh, a, a few other notes to hit on first. Uh, the news came out the other day that Disney is going to air the first two episodes of Andor 
on basically every property they own. I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised they're not also putting on ESPN, but there must be some <laughs> games happening over the weekend. So over Thanksgiving weekend, they're going to air the first two episodes on uh, ABC on Wednesday night, and then on FX uh, Thursday night, and then on Freeform Friday night, and then it's going to be available on Hulu for two weeks from November 23rd to December 7th. So uh, I'm guessing most people listening to this are watching Andor, but if for some reason you don't have Disney Plus or haven't checked it out, you can check out the first two episodes and then you would have to switch over to Disney Plus so, uh, to, to buy. the. They're hoping to lure you in to then get you to sign up for Disney Plus to do this. But it, this is an odd one, Lauren, because... I sort of feel like we all feel that the first two episodes are kind of not the best two episodes. In fact, they're kind of maybe the worst two episodes. <laughs> when I heard that, like I was like, you gotta do the first three because the first two aren't really. And, and I, cause I mean, like, honestly, the first two, like, I think my parents, my parents are big star Wars fans. I think they fought, saw the first two and they were like, Ugh, and they just haven't gone back. And I'm like, no, it's gotten like, it's gotten good. And they're just, and, and so I'm just like, you guys got to lead with like, I mean, maybe edit the first three together in one nice, you know, package or something. But I was like, no, the first two aren't the ones that I would start with. What do you think, Devin? Yeah, I mean, kind of this whole season, we've been talking about how, you know, it's totally 12. It's 12 episodes total. Um, and they've sort of been packaging it in little, like little mini story arcs of three episodes. You know, the first one is, you know, the first three are all about, you know, sort of they culminate with the Battle of Ferex. The, the next three are all about the heist. The next three are all about the prison. Um, and so, yeah, just showing the first two, I think, you know, we're all kind of in agreement that, you know, we were all kind of like, we, we saw the first two episodes. We were like, oh, this is fine. Like, this isn't anything special and then as the show has gone on it's really won me over i've gone from being like oh i guess i have to watch andor this week to like when do i get to watch andor this week um and so i i hope that if you're checking it out for the first time at least watch the first three before you decide to give it a a, a stay or a pass um so yeah i i mean i get from for probably practical um you know reasons it's probably hard for them to carve out three hours on you know FX or or some of their their you know channels or whatever than it is to carve out two. I mean, is it is it Devin like they're like they, every time I turn on FX, there's some like X Men movie on or just That's you know true. just like some some That's movie true. replaying for the hundredth time. <laughs> they're starting in these at nine p.m. So we know the ABC they got three hours of prime time from eight to eleven. So to Lauren's yeah. point, they could have tacked on that third episode, which that's I think true. would make a huge yeah. difference because that's the way we all felt watching it. We're all kind of like. Yeah, you know, uh, we didn't love how we got here, but it, it had us very excited to watch on. Like, it hooked you by the end of the third episode. Like, oh, all right, yeah. he's left Ferrex, Stone Skarsgård's in the mix. Now he's he's getting off onto his path, and you're not going to get that after two episodes. Right. Like, Mon Mothma no. doesn't show up until well episode into, four. you know, yeah, well into it. So it's it's, it's an, kind of an interesting choice. But yeah, I, I, I find it kind of fascinating. I'm, I'm curious whether that means that like a it's been a huge hit and they're desperate to get more of it or maybe it's been a little bit more of a slow burn and they're trying to reel in maybe a little bit more of an audience i'm curious what the sort of the internal decision making is behind it because i think critically it's been a huge hit i mean everybody's obsessed with it and like all star wars nerds um but i'm curious whether it can have the sort of same 
mainstream breakout appeal as something like Mandalorian, where everybody was like, what's this Baby Yoda all about? I'm going to tune in and see what that's about. Um, This one's maybe a little bit of a harder sell. It's like, you got Stellan Skarsgård giving incredible speeches about, you know, um, how, you know, fascism needs to be overthrown through violent um, insurrection, but not necessarily the the immediate kind of hook that like, hey, look, there's Baby Yoda chasing a frog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting they are putting it on FX, which, you know, I probably most of my favorite programs of the last 10 years have been FX programs, like just from Justified and the Americans and that sort of stuff. So I what feel like they the are trying to target. Yeah, what we do in the shadows as well. Um, uh, so I feel like they are trying to target a more adult audience with this because, yeah, I just uh, I mean, I like I love Andor a lot, but it's not a kid's show. Uh, and so I think they're just trying to get maybe people who just ignore star Wars thinking, Oh, you know, they're not star Wars people to see like, Oh, this is a type of star Wars that you might be interested in. We'll see. We'll see if it works. Uh, we're we're going to talk mm-hmm. a lot more Andor, but real quickly beforehand, let's pause for the cause because Lauren mentioned right before we start recording, I had forgotten that there's a new baby Yoda short out. Devin and I have not watched it mm-hmm. yet. Uh, we apparently couldn't spare the what two and a half minutes or however long it is. I, <laughs> I yeah, was it's like traveling. three minutes long. <laughs> it's yeah. like three minutes long. <laughs> uh, but there's no way Lauren Morgan was not going to be right on top of that the second it was released, watching the Baby Yoda short. So Lauren, uh, tell us what we need to know about this uh, new animated offering. So last week, Studio Ghibli, their Twitter posted the you know Lucasfilm fanfare. And this was kind of a shock. People are like, what are they doing? Is it Star Wars Visions? What's going on? And then the next day they posted a photo of like a figure, a tiny figure of um, baby Yoda with, and you could see in the back, Mizuaki, you know, his very sort of iconic look, but it was in the background. So you're sort of like, oh, there's some kind of baby Yoda thing coming. And then Friday, they finally announced that it is, uh, that was this little short film that they did called Zen. And it was called like Grogu and the Dust Bunnies. And it's just, it's really just short, charming, about three minutes long. I literally watched it at like 3.30 in the morning uh, yeah, when I yeah, had the did. flu. Yeah, I no, I did. Like literally, oh, I was Oh, you didn't awake. set the alarm, Lauren. Sleep. Come on now. <laughs> no, no, no. I literally could not sleep at all because I felt like I caught the flu from my daughter. And this is the remnants of it that you're hearing. And I was just like, well, I guess I should watch this now. And so it was funny because my husband, who had been checking on my daughter, who had been coughing, came in and heard like the baby Yoda music and like the baby Yoda theme song. And my husband is a huge, huge Miyazaki fan. He just like, we are like my, my husband built a life-size Totoro costume for one Halloween. Like, you know, we, we are, we, we are big fans of him in this household. And so he he saw me just in bed, like watching this and he's like, shouldn't you be asleep? And I'm like, I can't sleep. So he just, he he saw that. So, um, but it's, it's just, it's a very, very short thing, but it's very exciting to see Studio Ghibli doing this. And my husband was honestly shocked that they agreed to do something like this. Cause this is not, you know, they're very sort of anti Hollywood and stuff like that. So I'm fascinated to know how this did come. I'm curious to know if that they're going to wind up doing something for visions and if this was just sort of the first thing. But it's just, a, it's a super charming little short. And if you love Baby Yoda and you've missed Baby Yoda, it's just a nice little thing to see. I mean, that's all interesting, but. Can we backtrack to where Lauren totally threw her daughter under the bus for giving her the flu? <laughs> like, can we just talk about that for a second? Just like completely just sold her out. 
<laughs> Literally, right now, if you have an elementary school student, you know it is totally germ warfare going on right now. I have literally, in the space of like the last three weeks, have had like, or six weeks, have had like three colds and then I just caught the flu. So <laughs> it's literally just a constant state of attack in this house. Did, did you have your flu shot? Oh, yeah, I did. And so I got her her flu shot and she was screaming bloody murder that I got her flu shot. And she like literally petrified every other child in the CVS. And it what was it for? It was for not because we both got the flu. And my husband, who did not get a flu shot, didn't get the flu. So oh, I I'm Lauren just pissed. Lauren just went anti-vax on us right wow. there. Wow. That was unbelievable. No, 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 I'm, I'm very much not. But I'm mostly just frustrated that I got the flu shot and didn't do anything. Oh but, my god. So maybe this is a bad flu shot this year. I don't know. But well, I always get it. Well, Devin and I are gonna have to check out baby baby Yoda. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited for this. Like Lauren, I'm a huge Miyazaki fan. I was I also I was Kiki's delivery service for Halloween this year. Um, which I think you're obligated to do at well least once if you have a black cat. Um and yeah, I was kind of fascinated by this because, you know, Disney and, and Studio Ghibli are sort of the two titans of, you know, animation. And so for them to be working together on a Star Wars thing is is pretty big news. Um and so I'm really, really excited to check this one out. All right, uh, that's up on the Disney Plus. You can go watch that. Uh, we're going to talk to the Andor production designer and costume designer in just a little bit. Lauren um, spoke with them, and you're going to get to hear that interview. But let's 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 chat about episode 11 of Andor, which just came out. And I just want to ask something because, look, we so we got episodes eight through ten early, so and all of them together. So we watched them a while ago. Okay, so it's been it's been maybe I don't know um, three weeks, a month since since we've watched what happened at the end of episode ten. So I'm just a little confused. Like it, my memory is not what it used to be. It's probably because there's just way too much useless like Big Brother information that I <laughs> I keep trying to hit the delete button and it just will not leave my brain. And so then I can't remember basic things. And I I'm honestly feeling like I must have missed or forgotten something seriously major because we pick up in this week's episode and spoiler alert, they're just like, Oh yeah, Marva's dead. And I'm like, wait, what did like, did, did I, did that happen? And I forgot it. Did like, did I miss that? Was I, was, was I on my phone sc like scrolling on Twitter when all of a sudden she had her big death scene, but I don't think so. Am I crazy ladies? Or is like, is this just kind of just happen? I don't know why if you had Fiona Shaw, you would not give her a dramatic death scene. Well, that that leads to my question. How much should we believe this death? I'm, I'm, listen, I cover The Walking Dead, right? So like, and I've covered other TV. I know some, some things. And what I know is if you don't show a character dying, and if that character is played by Fiona Shaw... And you're not showing that character dying? That character ain't dead. Well, it's like Andy Serkis, right? Like, we never see him, yeah. you know, drown. We just see him be like, I can't swim. So, like, come on. That was very, I think that was very intentional. Maybe being like, hey, Andy Serkis spinoff time, you know, like down down the road. But no, yeah, I think, that I smokes. mean, she was very elderly. And we see, we see a lot of scenes of her, like, coughing and, like, B2 looking very concerned about her. Um, so I, I think I think it's sort of, you know, implied, but but maybe not shown. But yeah, no, I, I had sort of a, a similar reaction. I was like, no, Fiona Shaw. Well, do you, do you, I mean, I mean, we'll see what happens in the finale, but do you all, I, I don't think she's dead. I, I mean, like until like I see a corpse and, 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 and I'm assured that there's no sort of like, do you remember that season? <laughs> Did either of you watch 24? 
I never did. Okay, Not, so there was I watched, one... like the first season or something. I mean, like like a lot of shows, it got more and more ridiculous uh, as it went on. And there's literally a scene where he intentionally like they killed him and then brought him back to life. Like there's something like your heart won't beat for like two minutes, but then we'll like zap you like so that way we'll make this person <laughs> think you're dead. And then they brought him back and like it's like all right, whatever. Um, and so like I just. I don't know. Why would you do that? It doesn't seem to make any sense why you would deprive us of a Fiona Shaw death scene. It that's just, fair. it doesn't add up. It doesn't that, add up. That's fair. I mean, she is like, like her character is very elderly and frail and is like, you know, uh, you know, I, I think it's not, not out of the ordinary, you know, it's not like she was, you know, 22 and just dropped dead, but um, all right, I'll, I'll entertain this. I mean, if you were the showrunner, would you ever consider a world where you wouldn't write that scene though and like show us her dying? I just, it seems, unless you're trying to trick us into thinking, that's the only thing I think of, that you're less, trying to trick us into thinking it's all a ruse and then it's not. If you're like, you know what? Every show always does this thing. If you never see the body, it's literally like a showrunner like rule. If you don't see the body, yeah. the character's not dead. You would think, though, whoever's making these bricks would, you know, do some ID verification <laughs> before, you know. Right. Uh, l- let's let's get into these two big Luthen scenes. We got another Luthen and Saul Guerrero scene uh, that was just awesome, where basically Saul's now changed his mind. He's like, I'm in. Let's do this. Let's go save my boy Krieger. <laughs> and, and then Luthen's like, meh. Like now that I've thought it over, no, because my boy Lonnie with the sweet stash over an ISB <laughs> told me what's up. And if we bust in and save this dude, then they're going to know we have a mole and then it's going to compor- compromise everything. And he basically, over the course of the scene, convinces Saw to essentially let Krieger and his 30 men die yeah. for the cause. For the greater good, as they say. Uh, Devin, what'd you think of this scene? I just, I mean, Stellan Skarsgård, man, he has, he is just knocking it out of the park. Um, you know, we, we just got that amazing episode where he he gives that speech to the, you know, to the ISB agent where he, he just talks about how everything he sacrificed. And here we get him, you know, basically like... The it, the look on on Forrest Whitaker's face when he realizes that he's just condemning Krieger to die is just like really it's it's kind of kind of haunting and I just man Selen Skarsgård is just knocking it out of the park I would watch him read the phone book so he I, I'm just I'm just very into it I just more Selen Skarsgård and then we get excellent action Selen Skarsgård later where he gets yeah. to do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of piloting, um, you know, kind of show off his 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 skills, which I was like, I love every bit about this. This rules. Yeah, that scene was awesome where he's basically they shut him down and they're asking for ID and they put a tractor beam on him. Then he shoots down the tractor beam, which was so cool. He doesn't even and- just shoot it down. It like he like shoots he a bunch like- of little things at it and then it disintegrates. Yeah. Like the big yeah. uh, satellite dish. Yeah, it's like, yeah, someone's not getting their direct TV anymore on the Star Destroyer. <laughs> and then then he busts out some like Darth Maul double lightsaber action out of his out of his ship to slice up some TIE fighters. Lord, it was I love it because it's like it's like that a Boba Fett good. suit full of gizmos come to yeah, life. Yeah, it was. 
I was thinking about that. I was thinking of Boba Fett's ship uh, as as like those slave one. The uh, this this yeah. The the lasers came out of the side. I was like, I've never seen a Star Wars ship do that one. That whole scene kind of reminded me a little bit of the Holo maneuver in Last Jedi. Just like it, it just kind of took me aback, like the way the whole entire scene went. But I really enjoyed that scene. I mean, Selen Skarsgård has been doing great work through the. I think he's sort of the MVP of the show. But I loved that little that little space chase at the end, and especially just like you know how the Empire thought they had him, and you know just seeing him escape the tractor beam was that was great. And I always love a, a hyperdrive escape. It's just it's classic Star Wars. Yeah, and and for for a show that's really not been classic Star Wars, it was a nice. It was nice. It was like okay, yeah, give us a little bit of that. And there was a lot of um, and there was a lot of alien work in this, and there, this show hasn't been super heavy on alien work either, so it was kind of like, oh, there's a little bit of more classic Star Wars stuff in here. Yeah, we get to see these the, these two guys at the beginning who have some 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 great prosthetic work and like some weird language, yeah. you know. I stuff. have to and admit, I'm, I had I was having a real hard time understanding what they were saying. Though this I is too. when I wish that I didn't they, understand anything they said. <laughs> see, I watched it with I subtitles. So see, that's I should have put that on because I usually do whenever I'm watching Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus, and especially when we didn't have screeners, I would always watch it with uh, subtitles. So. And this time I was like, I had to go through it a couple times. I'm like, what are they saying? Are you guys a subtitles house or like, I'm purely subtitles. It depends on what I'm watching. I yeah. never use, I, I I never use it just for a regular show, but I always use it. If you put like, even like an Irish or Scottish accent, oh, like yeah. Dairy Girls, yeah, like it's, it's, a, it's a must have. But like on a regular show, if I'm watching like Stranger Things, I don't use subtitles. You do, Devin? I, I've gotten to the point where I kind of like it. I, I, I kind of just keep it on for everything. I was, I was at home visiting my dad this weekend and we were going to watch a movie and he's like, is it okay if I keep the subtitles on? And I was like, yes, please. I love subtitles. I just, I don't know. I think... I just I think they make it easier. I think it's maybe because I've gotten in the habit of because of what we do for our job. Like when I watch things early, I need to like write down, okay, how does this person spell their name? Especially when it comes to like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or like, you know, where they introduce complicated things. Yeah, whenever I was doing Star Wars recaps or recaps for Mando, I always had that those closed captions on because sometimes you're like, I have no idea what this character's name would be spelled like otherwise. Right, because so, they're like, this is George, and then it's spelled with yeah. like nine Ys and a and a like yeah. a, a Z, and you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> There's always weird E's and like 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 things are always spelled sort of not in the classic way you expect them to in star Wars. So I'm always, but the, pro- a the problem is it's kind of like a spoiler that. sometimes though, isn't it? Like, you know, like if there's like, they'll, they'll have like, like the line will be too long and there'll be a big dramatic spoiler at the end of the line. And then you're like, you're reading it before you see it. That was something that happened yeah. recently with She-Hulk. And actually, I think they wound up fixing it. I don't know if you guys watched She-Hulk, but in the finale, basically, they meet, they're like, we're going to take you to meet Kevin. Right. Um, but the way they spelled oh, yeah. it in the subtitles was it was like K.E. So it like it, it gave you the sense that like, oh, something is off. And then, you wind up meeting, and then you wind up meeting Kevin and he's like a crazy robot who's like basically an amalgamation of Kevin Feige, like wearing a sort of baseball hat. Um, so that joke like got spoiled by the subtitles and people were really mad about it because they were like, that, that was such a great joke and it, it got spoiled by the subtitles. But I think Disney wound up actually going back and fixing it um, because people were mad about it. But yeah, I think it's been interesting. I feel like um, when we first started doing this job, like you wouldn't always get screeners with subtitles. And now I think a lot of times you do. So anyway, this is a total rant, but I, I love subtitles, pro subtitles, especially when dealing with weird aliens with weird accents. And House of the Dragon, the naming conventions are always just wild. So you're always oh yeah, like, you want to talk about too many vowels? 
Yeah, or just, you know, <laughs> weird places, like, you know, the naming conventions are always that there, so. It's like She-Hulk, it's Madison with a Y, and uh, with two N's and a Y, but it's not where you think. <laughs> That's how I feel about watching House of the Dragon. It's like, there's like three E's and an A and a Y, but it's not where you think. <laughs> Anything else you all want to want to hit on with this episode? Um, There's just some Mon Mothma just being cool again. I love Love Mon Mothma. Yeah, or Mon Mothma, um, you know, contemplating whether she should let send her rotten daughter to her uh, credit problem or her cash flow problem. And I'm like, just do it. She's awful. Well, that was wow. the interesting thing. We see her like, it's basically like a, like a Bible study group that she's in, essentially. Yeah. Like where, where, and, and Val is like, you're letting her do this like very fundamentalist Chandrillin like kind of stuff. And, and Mon is like, she's the one who's like signed up for it. She's wants like to really do obsessed yeah. with it. Um, which I thought was like kind of an interesting point. You usually think of like the rebel daughter wanting to buck tradition, but here, you know, she's embracing tradition, which is so horrifying to, to Mon Mothma. So I was fascinated by that. There was a, a jokey Twitter, a tweet going around a couple of weeks ago that they said that the sequel trilogy villain should have been Mon Mothma's awful daughter. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> I was like, she should have just grown up to be awful. So, Look, I mean, everyone's she's like 14. Awful when they're 13 or 14. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say that you're 13 and 14. It's like the worst of humanity. So, I mean, I'm not surprised. She'll probably grow up to be a fine, lovely person. But right now she's awful. How are we not paying more attention to like the fact that Lauren possibly might sell off her daughter at some point? She's just like <laughs> casually like, yeah, just sell. My daughter, outside of giving me the flu, is a lovely, lovely creature. I shall never do that. Her daughter's in the room, by the way. Oh, no, she's in the other room playing with many of the dolls that I have given her. My dolls and my daughter is a sweetness and light and a germ magnet right now. But otherwise. <laughs> it happens. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll listen, finale time next week. Last episode, we're going to get episode 12. Remember when like 12 episodes of a show felt like nothing? Because we were used to like 22 to 24 of a network. And all of a sudden it's like, HBO, you're only doing 12 episodes? What? Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, this one feels long. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the things that we've talked about a lot about the show is how much we really love the look of Andor from the sets and the locations to the costumes. So, with that in mind, Lauren chatted with the show's production designer, Luke Hull, and its costume designer, Michael Wilkinson. And we have that interview for you right after this super quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I know Star Wars has like a specific iconography. Like how much were you both allowed to like innovate with Andor and like sort of pushing the boundaries of what we sort of understand as a, as Star Wars? It's a very different show on paper just to begin with. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like Tony's writing inspires a certain need for more detail and more of a thought through process. And I think we, you know, myself and Michael certainly come from making other types of movies as well where you go through a much more sort of 
bigger process of research and trying to make spaces that make sense. And um, so then that, and also we're seeing like, we're seeing different aspects that we've never seen in Star Wars. So we're seeing very domestic offices, Mm -hmm. homes, bathrooms, you know, hotel rooms. And uh, it, it sort of forces you to kind of come up with a language. So I think within that, uh, I think there was a certain amount of inspiring some confidence at the beginning about how we would go about that. And then once we'd done that, we were, I, I personally was left quite a lot of room, I think, to, to play within, within it. Um, we had a good team. I mean, I think, you know, I have a good balance of a team in terms of like people who have never done Star Wars or have no interest in it to people who have worked on every episode to people who are fans. So like within that, there's a good balance of, of measuring our, our language out <laughs> that makes sense yeah yeah i think um luke hit the nail on the head i i feel like as soon as we read the scripts we we realized it would take a very different approach to some of the um the more recent um star wars series tony's writing is very dense it's uh the characters are incredibly complex and psychologically um you know well-rounded it's not just sort of cartoony two-dimensional characters these people uh, have real struggles they have their good days and their bad days and so I wanted to reflect that in the costumes and not just try and make costumes that would be instantly iconographic and cosplay they had to be (laughs) Our rules were that you know all of the costume choices had to be practical and character driven and not ornamental or like added on it they had to be coming out of the scripts what what are we trying to say in this episode um something that i was really excited by was this sort of sense of of disguise so it's uh you know it's not just it's not just uh your average costuming job when when these characters are trying to reveal their true identity because they live in a world where it's dangerous to reveal themselves this idea of cloaking and disguising and covering up who you really are that was really fascinating for me from costume point of view so we see it with Cassian we see it with Mon Mothma we see it with Lex they are all living in different uh you know the sense of danger of living in more than one world was um really exciting to try and convey that with their costuming yeah, I think there's a really interesting interplay between the surface of what's going on and what's going on deeper and emotionally. I thought that was really kind of a, a, a great thing that I was getting from the show. Um, and I think there's like, uh, was is just such a great harmony between what the production de- design is doing with and also what the costume designs are. Because it's like when I'm looking at the show visually, especially in like something like Mon's ap- uh, apartment, where you're just seeing like what Mon's wearing and just how it's playing off of the design. How is the collaboration between production design and the costume design? Like Luke, were you kind of doing sets first? And then Michael, were you kind of seeing what environments people were going to be into when you were picking things of like color and, and things of that sort? How did that work together? Uh, was there like a visual lookbook that you guys were working from? Uh, I think it sort of evolved, didn't it, Michael? I mean, we talked a lot and um, we referenced a lot. And I guess we started with a kind of basic context of world reference of like sort of, oh, Coruscant mm-hmm. sort of monochromatic and these materials. And then there's different fields within, you know, the different levels of Coruscant and, and so on and so forth. But um, there were definitely times where I think Michael was way ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm ripping off what he's doing and, and then he's, he's ripping off what I'm doing I, I think mm-hmm. that's what's quite fun about it I mean like it's a sort of color tends to be something I do last and and I know um, in that sense I know Michael you were certainly ahead of me on some of some of those notions but um as, yeah I think for me it's more about like 
and start with shape and then material and then 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 start to think about you know how much color we want to add in but i think with coruscant in particular it was all about making it feel starker a little, a little less humane a little more um, architectural and built and less organic and therefore sort of more monochromatic and then like we said we were referencing things like the conformist for the sort of slightly fascist leaning of the society at the time so i think in that sense we were always talking about the same references weren't we michael yeah, I mean, I feel like when we broke down the scripts and we realized we were going to be jumping from, I think, about seven or eight different planets and environments yeah. that all had to be very carefully, sharply defined from, from one another, uh, we, it, yeah, it, it, it resulted in a really, really enjoyable and close collaboration. We were constantly bouncing ideas off each other and showing uh, each other cool stuff. I think what I, what I love about working with, um, Lucas, just how deep the conversations can go about all of the, the details of the world building. You know, we talk about the different climate on the different planets, you know, what raw materials would they have at their, uh, at their fingertips? What, what, and what is the culture like? You know, how developed is it? What technologies do they have? How do they build their, their environments and their, their clothing? And so, you know, we, with all of these planets, we talked about that. We established colors, textures, um, materials that would define um, all of the different cultures. So it was, it was super, super enjoyable. I thought like, yeah, what I really thought was like every environment, no matter what environment you're on, every place feels really lived in, like from if you're going from Ferrix to even from, you know, places and the different levels we're seeing on Coruscant and things like that. Every place feels like very realistic and very much like this is being inhabited by people or creatures or your beings or stuff like that. And you guys were talking about influences. I mean, I know, you know, as I was saying, like Star Wars has a, a, a huge, like, you know, almost 45 year uh, thing of visual references. What kind of references were you using? What, what were the non-Star Wars references that influences that you were adding into this? It was mainly non-Star Wars references for me anyway that we were mm -hmm. adding. I think it's always good to start with a point of rest. Again, it goes back to the writing and wanting to create something that felt tangible and tactile and more grounded than maybe other shows have. And so they start with real world places and like, oh, with, you know, have often have conversations like, oh, no, this is this is Tokyo. And no, no, that's mm -hmm. like uh, Scotland. And no, 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 Neomos is like Cancun. <laughs> so um it, it's a that's a kind of that uh, you know so many different ways into this but mm -hmm. uh for, for me usually it's just sort of it wasn't like star wars as an afterthought at all it, it was just something that I, you layered either layered in over time or you sort of came to at the end and it's like because i didn't want to i don't think any of us just want to throw bits in for the sake of it to make it look like star wars yeah I want you know you uh, wanted to be like okay so we've got this um, community of people that the the majority of their jobs is to break down these ships and sell it for scrap okay what's around that there's scrap yards there's going to be resale places there's going to be a bar where they go after uh, mm -hmm. and then you build it from the ground up in that respect and with with I think the things to hold on to are the notions of Star Wars that work very well like every planet actually has very uh sort of limited um i don't know what the word but sort of environment uh, mm -hmm. language so yeah whatever that be colors materials uh plant life desert whatever so like holding on to those notions i think allowed us to then really layer in detail that made it feel 
like this world could exist. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Michael, how about for you? What were your influences for uh, the costume design? Yeah, I agree that what, I think what makes the Star Wars approach to design so successful is that it is actually always there's an element of the real world that the starting point is the real real world references and then mm-hmm. that sort of gives the the uh audience something to connect with rather it being sort of super fantastical sci-fi uh, uh you know references it's always something grounding it so for the for example when we were in the sort of working construction planet of ferrix we looked at utility wear from all around the world whether it was japanese firefighters um or you know uh, you know scottish garbage collectors we kind of we went <laughs> Uh, but it was the those gloves, Michael, when you bought them. So, yeah, I, I mean, and then Aldani, of course, we kind of looked at nomadic Tibetan cultures mm. and mixed with a little mm-hmm. bit of Scotland. Niamos, yes, it was kind of Florida uh, meets uh, Star Wars. Um, the Coruscant, you know, was an incredibly sophisticated urban environment. So we looked at um, the most, you know, cutting edge modern cities in the world today. So yeah, by bringing in real world references, I feel like it just kind of makes uh, everything just feel a little bit more relatable and um, convincing for audiences. Yeah, I I know that the, there have been some uh, Star Wars costumes in the past where I, it felt like the costume was wearing the actor, and in this, it very much felt like the characters were wearing the actual outfits that they would be. And it, and I just wanted to talk about Mon Mothma especially because I just her whole wardrobe. I'm like, I want this whole thing. But like when you take someone like Mon Mothma, who had a very iconic look in Return of the Jedi. Uh, how did you figure out how to reconceptualize that for Andor? Because, like, you know, I, I was very glad not to see her just in caftans the whole time, but she's in very, like, elegant and regal things that would befit, like, a senator. Well, yeah, we got the opportunity to show Mon Mothma in a period of her history that hasn't really mm-hmm. been seen before in Star Wars. So at this stage of her life, she is a um, very high-powered and wealthy senator uh, in Coruscant. So she lives in an extremely sophisticated world of embassy parties and senators and... uh, and, so, you know, what fascinated, I think, me about her character is the public and the private, you know, when she mm-hmm. she has a public face, when she's dealing with the world, uh, which is her senator robe is almost like her armor that is quite um, sculptural uh, and defined. And then I wanted to design looks for her that were kind of layered. And so you could sort of peel back a layer and sort of sort of show different parts of her sort of softer um, under layers that we get to see uh, when she's at home at the embassy. You know, there's uh, there's always a sense of, uh, you know, again, hiding your true self, the vulnerability mm-hmm. that lies behind this sense of supreme control that Genevieve was able to capture Um it was a real, it was a real treat to create this character with Genevieve. Yeah, I think it was the the work that's just beautiful, and also just with her apartment as well. I think we're all covering that. Um, but for in terms of Cassian, like we know what he looks like in Rogue One. Were there influences that you were using for designing for Cassian? Like, um, were you trying to work towards sort of his certain look, or just you know where you thought Cassian would be at this point in his life? I mean, I think one of the 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 joys I discovered of working this was my first long format series that mm-hmm. you know we have nine hours of material and storytelling you can really create some interesting character arcs so like the Cassian that we made in the earlier episodes are very 
you know, he's kind of hiding in these um, oversized clothes. He's a bit of a mess. He's messing everything up. He's owing people money and he's totally undisciplined. And so mm-hmm. but to start that journey from that guy to, you know, the more heroic uh, Cassian that we know for, um, at the in Rogue One, um, you can, I, I sort of worked on that subtly, hopefully, subliminally, the, the uh, audience will get a sense that his, Coats are becoming a bit more tailored, you know, throughout the series. His lines are a bit longer. The, the shoulders are a little bit square. So he goes from this kind of more youthful hiding in oversized hoodies and jackets and parkers to a bit more of a defined uh, silhouette as he starts to get a, more of a sense of his own identity. This is towards Luke. Um, and I know many Star Wars shows have shot on the volume, but Andor didn't. Did that influence how your designs were at all or how, uh, like, I know there was a lot more practical set building. Did that, like, how did that influence uh, your work um, or did it not? It was, it just wasn't, the decision wasn't made like that. The volume was floated as a, as a viable option to do the show, uh-huh. in, but it, just, it never felt like that's what Tony's writing was doing. Was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the joy of making such a long format TV show is that you can build sets like Ferrix where you can walk down the street, turn left and walk into Marva's house and be there, you know, that sort of being on the ground with the characters moving through their worlds was hugely important as an approach, I felt. So and it's not something that you can do easily and readily in the volume. Um, it's also not something that I'm experienced in or particularly excited about, if I'm perfectly honest. So I can understand um, that. Yeah. So it's it's just, it, yeah, I, I, I think when it is world building, you want to be world building. And uh, yeah. I don't think at, at the moment the volume would have held us back more than it would have helped us. Um, that's not to say it wouldn't work for other shows. I just think the way Tony writes doesn't suit the volume and, and does suit a more built show or location show. So, yeah, that that was, yeah. That's where we stood on that, really. Thank you so much for joining me. Our thanks to Luke Hall and Michael Wilkinson for joining us this week. And while we're doling out the thanks, let's throw some your way for joining us as well. We would also be super thankful if you would please follow and rate the podcast and tell all your friends about it. And if you really want to win your way into our hearts, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and then listen to us read it right here on the pod. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>